Hello, <laughs> listeners. We are brewing the creamsicle style ale today. It is known as the Push Pop Podcast. This beer is brewed with Valencia orange peels, lactose, and last but not least, a reduction of vanilla. It is going to be an explosion of flavor. I am joined by some wonderful guests today. A couple of my best friends named Frank and Jay. And I am also joined by my sister Colette. This is going to be an incredible brewing experience. Wait till you hear about this beer. All right, listeners, so really excited today. I have the opportunity to kind of talk to you about some of the brewing that we've been doing together. And I have the opportunity to be joined by my one of my best friends, Frank. So Frank, why don't you kind of explain a little bit about why you like brewing beer so much? I know I will, I'll kind of talk with people about that as well, but I kind of want people to get your unique perspective on brewing too. Yeah, I mean, for me, it really comes down to being able to, like, hang out with friends. It's not so much the fact that you're getting beer at the end of the day or what you call a kind of wort, pre-fermented beer, but it's being able to hang out with friends and just listen to great music and have conversations about life and really, like, have that inner soul finding uh, that you don't tend to, like, take the time of your day to really analyze. I think that that's a really good point. The Making the beer is really great, but... Honestly, the most important part is that you're spending time with friends or family. So if you're getting into home brewing, try to find somebody that also really likes it so you can enjoy beers together and you can brew together. So Frank, do you want to kind of let the audience know what kind of a beer are we making today? Yes, this is uh, straight out of your recipe book, something that you concocted. It is a cream ale uh, that's, you're calling like a creamsicle ale. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, we're planning on infusing it with uh, vanilla that you've done an extraction process on. So, mm -hmm. not store-bought bought extract, it's you know, legitimately bought vanilla, which I'm sure is not cheap. Uh, but then we're also using um, Valencia orange peel, which should add a nice kind of orange kick to it. Really sweet also, orange uh, kick, yep. Lactose to kind of bring in a creaminess note to it. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Frank, have you ever tried a creamsicle-style beer before? No, I haven't. You, you've been talking about them for quite some time here, and uh, you've been wanting to brew one, but um, we've been focused on just so many different types of beer. So about six months ago, we got into all-grain brewing, and that's really opened up the opportunity to, for us to have so much control in our brewing process. I've been doing all-grain brewing since, like, 2014, or not all-grain, um, extract brewing, since about 2014, 2015, and it kind of almost like turned me off from the beer brewing process. Uh, not only that, like, you know, it was difficult at that time to find somebody to brew with, but all my beers ended up kind of tasting the same. They'd have some, like, altered malty notes, but, like, whether I did a, uh, let's say, Belgian wit beer versus a Belgian triple, you always had kind of that same grain profile because we weren't controlling what was going into that process. Right. Now that we're controlling the types of grains that we're using, but then also the extraction process where we're taking those sugars out of the grains, it opens up all sorts of different opportunities for us to really have the control that we wanted on the beers, but we just didn't have access to it until we had the match time. Right. We can really fine-tune our beers now. Yeah. So, 
what what Frank was kind of explaining, if you haven't done home brewing before, normally, I think we would both agree that you should start out with extract brewing because it is a little bit simpler. There's less steps to it, but essentially what extract is, it's malt syrup. And so somebody's already done the step of letting these grains sit in a mash tongue, which is essentially a large pot that the grains sit at at a specific temperature. Somebody's already done that work for you. And so even though you have to skip that step, you don't have as much leeway on the flavors that you can create. So like Frank was saying, when you get into all grain, it's just like opening Pandora's box. All of a sudden, you have way more ability to fine tune your beers. And I know that Frank and I, as soon as we tried all grain, we told ourselves, hey, even though extract is easier, we're not going back to it ever. Yeah, I mean, going from like extract brewing to all grain brewing, it almost doubles or triples the time cost on the front end for making that beer. So like right. extract brewing, usually it's start out with your 60 minute boil, which is when you're gonna add those malts, malt syrups to the, uh, to the boil kettle and then also do your hop addition. So maybe call that like an hour and a half. Yep. When you're doing extract brewing, you need to go through that process of extracting the sugars from those grains and that in itself takes you know, well over an hour. So usually about an hour for the steeping of the grains to extract the sugar. Uh, we've moved up to 10 gallon batches recently, so that means mm -hmm. that actually pulling that water out of those grains and rinsing those grains also takes about an hour. So now we're up to about two and a half hours of brewing and then we can finally start that uh, 60 minute boil with the, with the syrup that we've effectively created or the sugars that we've extracted. So, so it adds about this two and a half hour, maybe three hour window to the front end of your brewing, but I can tell you it's totally worth it. It absolutely is, and it's a labor of love. If you're trying to make a beer really quickly, that's fine, and that you should start out with extract to get yourself used to it, but at the same point, once you get into all grain brewing, you've gotten to the point where you know that you enjoy it, and you're willing to put in that extra work to get those extra flavors. Yeah, and it's... So, there's definitely a learning process to it. Yep. Um, I mean, our first beer that we made was a uh, spotted cow clone. We wanted to say, take something that... Shout out was, to New Glarus Brewing. Yeah, something something that was very familiar to people in Wisconsin. So, I mean, every liquor store, every gas station is going to have spotted cow. Some people even have it on tap in their houses. Yep, very common. <laughs> uh, but more or less, we wanted to start with a beer that we knew what it should taste like to see what we would be able to do with our, our homebrew equipment. Yep, and gotta get your feet wet. Exactly, that was the first time we got our feet wet. So when we ran all the calculations, more or less, you wanna hit a specific temperature when you're doing that sugar extraction process, we ended up being way off. But even though we were way off on those temperatures and the beer did not really taste much like spotted cow, it, it had notes of spotted cow, but not such uh, heavy malt flavor that we were going for, it still was a great beer. Like, we didn't have a kegerator at the time, but we had kegged that beer and we were drinking it at room temperature. Drank it at room temperature. And, and we had a third party that confirmed that it tasted pretty good, so. Yeah, even at room temperature. Shout out to Chad, my brother-in-law. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it kind of showed us that, you know, from what we had learned in extract brewing, that we were able to make a, a great beer with all grain. Yep. Um, and with that, we just kind of decided, like, okay, we've really got to go all, like, all in on this extract brew or all grain brewing. Yep. 
Um, and then soon after that, we, we kind of just started making beers. We were hitting every single one. We really hit a stride after it. And then we decided, okay, we need to move up to 10-gallon batches. Because we were finding that we, we'd keg these beers and they'd be gone in no time because they were just we so went, great. We went through our beer way too quickly. Yeah, yep. why, don't you, why don't you tell them, give the listeners a little bit of a snapshot of what happens the first time we tried to make a big wave clone and it turned out really kick-ass. But why don't you tell them about how quickly that beer <laughs> went? Because oh. that's always going to be a fond memory of mine. Yeah, so we uh, we originally brewed a red ale in the plan for a uh, cabin trip up to Minong, Wisconsin, close to the Jack Link's beef jerky factory. And we had, uh, I think the weekend afterwards, also brewed a Kona Big Wave. Now, by that point, we were really like spot on on our temperatures for steeping those grains, so we were able to clone or make really darn good beers that had excellent malt profiles. Um, but we had decided because uh, our fermentation was taking slightly longer on the red ale, we decided to keg it, but then we also decided to keg the Kona Big Wave. And that Kona Big Wave, we originally kind of shot for about a 5% alcohol. Yep. Um, we ended up overshooting that a little bit. Uh, I think we were just heavy on our, on our grains during that steeping process. Mm-hmm. We ended up being up uh, around like 6.3, 6.4%. Um, but we ended up taking a cabin trip with those two kegs. And the first night that we got up there, we got the keg on ice, got it on CO2, and got the tap going. We were very antsy to <laughs> crack into our beers, weren't oh, we? Oh, definitely. And it was, <laughs> you know, we had some initial tastes prior to the carbonation, we really liked the notes that we had gotten out of the beer from the dry hopping process that we had sent it to. Uh, it ended up having like very nice like citrus tones, but then also like a very light malt body to it. So very sessionable, uh, nice citrus flavor, but the alcohol was definitely up there. So we ended up uh, making this cabin trip, got that on ice, cracked it open, and I think within 24 hours that keg was gone. Primarily drank by about three people, but then uh, some others joined in later mm-hmm. on in that process. And we will t- we will tell you we won't tell you who they were, but there were some casualties from the beer. Uh, it was so drinkable, so tasty that it turned out that some people, you know, over imbibed, and that's not necessarily a bad thing when you're drinking beer. Yeah, it was, so it was definitely a beer that when you were drinking it, you wouldn't recognize that it was a. beer. Yep. If you just had awesome notes in it, you kind of guess maybe around 4%. So you figure it was very sessionable. And from the flavor standpoint, it was sessionable. From the alcohol standpoint, not so much. Yep. So we will let you know more about this beer as we continue to brew. We'll kind of give you updates. So just wanted to give you a little backstory on what this beer is going to be like. Creamsicle Ale. And it's going to be called the Push Pop Punk Ass. So that's patent pending, but nobody patented it. Okay, listeners, so my apologies. No, not really. There's some really cool 60s music going on in the background, so feel free to enjoy that as well. We are at the stage of our brewing process. It's Frank and I's favorite. We've always said this. Frank, do you want to tell them a little bit about what we're doing right now with this beer and why this process is so important? Yeah, so we've hit the step of um, more or less hitting the correct temperature and steeping those grains. 
So we were shooting for about 150, 151. We ended up hitting 152 degrees Fahrenheit, um, which honestly won't have much effect on the deer. We would have adjusted it down if it was like at 168 we, or 158. We would have brought it down to like 151, 152 range. Yep. Uh, so more or less, we've left those grains sit for about 60 minutes, and then we spike those grains up to 170, more or less to help wash off those sugars. Now we've elevated our Chapman, um, how would you call this, mash ton, and we're collecting the first runnings off of this. So this is more or less, like that grain's been disturbed a lot from the stirring of in all of that water. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're just going through the process of trying to get those grains clear. Because um, more or less like the first grains that kind of, or the first water that comes off this kettle is heavily filled with like a lot of grain sludge. So there's a lot of grains floating around in it. Yep. It's pretty hazy. Uh, so once we've collected this off, we'll run it through the uh, mash tun again. And as that grain bed settles, grain bed settles inside of the mash tun, it'll act as its own natural filter. Um, so this water that's kind of coming out is a little bit kind of hazy. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll eventually start to see it super clear. Yeah, so essentially, like Frank said, we're using those grains as sort of a natural filter, like he said. And then we also have a really nice Chapman mash tongue, which has something called a false bottom, which essentially allows water to get through, but it doesn't allow the grains to get through. And the reason why we dislike that, well, it's not necessarily our favorite step is, yeah, it's very- a little uh, sarcastic on that intro. Yeah, it's definitely not our favorite step. And the reason being is it, requires you at the home brewing stage to essentially hold a vessel to gather these first runnings and then we have to pour them on the grain bed to make sure that we don't disturb it too much. Yeah. Oh we might have just pulled a vacuum on that. Oh wow yeah that's quite the vacuum seal on it. So you can't see this right now, but what Frank is doing is he's essentially taking a funnel, inverting it. So the plastic side is down, not the side you would pour into. And essentially we're taking the first gallon of our runnings, which is essentially the most sugary part of this beer. It's gonna be really sweet, can have a lot of flavors. And the reason why he's doing this is so we don't disturb that grain bed. And he's he, this dude's a pro. I, I wish you guys could see this right now, because. He completely thought of that method on his own and you're releasing all of our trade secrets that make this process so simple for us that's true we've seen the process of like pouring on the back side of spoons so you kind of trickles in yep that takes about i don't know five minutes to actually pour the grains back into the mash tun this process here it took me 15 seconds yep like it is a huge increase yep in time savings Especially for this process because it does take so long. Mm -hmm. uh, we're kind of in the initial part of it right now of collecting these first runnings. But as, as that grain bed settles and it acts as a filter, then we'll start pulling all of that kind of sugar water out of it. Um, more or less, I guess you'd call it ward at this point. Yep. Uh, unfermented beer. Um, so it really reduces the time cost on that. Yeah. Which... I mean, when you're up at 10 gallon batches, you're talking about an hour for this process. I mean, right, and actually the last time we brewed a beer, we were brewing one 
last weekend we were trying to pale ale and the bitterest of pale ales. Yeah, the bitterest of pale ales. We we really love our IPAs. Not and so we were brewing a pale ale and somehow some of the grains got under our false bottom and this process that takes an hour normally took us about two or three hours. So that was quite the adventure. So one good piece of advice, Frank's given some really good advice as well. One good piece of advice is make sure you plan extra time for your brew. For instance, we've been starting at five o'clock a lot of the time and we usually get done around one or two. And so keep that in mind that it's a time commitment and don't do it and don't commit to it unless you're really interested in it and you really want to pursue it. Or stick with that extract brewing because that does cut down on that time cost a lot. Yep, extracts. It really I becomes a viable option for people that more or less might not, might have a family and they don't quite have the time to dedicate to all grain brewing. Like it's not to knock on extract. No, absolutely um, not. I mean, you're able to make pretty good beers there, but the, the potential that you unlock going to all grain really really outweighs the benefit of saving that time it really does so we will let you know more about this we're just going to finish up our sparge and then we'll move on to the hot boil which is a really really fun part of brewing we'll get to explain a little bit about that too as well so let's get ready to hot boil pew, pew, pew. we have begun the best part of brewing beer besides drinking it, we have entered the hop oil phase. We're gonna be adding hops to our beer. We're gonna be adding Valencia orange peel, lactose, and last but not least, a vanilla reduction. It is a very exciting time to be a brewer. I am your host, Cody, and I have my guests here. I have Frank, I have Jay, I have my sister Colette, and we are just enjoying the hell out of brewing this beer right now. Frank, what do you think you're gonna most enjoy about this beer? What are you excited to try about this creamsicle beer? God, I feel like it's, I'm torn. Um, we're adding roughly one pound per five gallons of lactose for beer, so I'm really interested in seeing how that plays a role um, in the creaminess of the beer relative to the malt profile that we selected. But then also the vanilla interaction, you were looking up kind of what other people had done when they introduced vanilla into the beer. So I'm really yep. interested interested in seeing like, you know, if you introduce vanilla in the primary fermentation cycle versus the secondary fermentation cycle, how does that really play on the flavor? Do you want to give people that don't know what, you know, most people that are listening to this, they, they understand fermentation, but what is the difference between a primary and secondary fermentation? Can you explain to people a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so I mean, as it's kind of stated, more or less you have primary and secondary, which is your first and second stages of fermentation. So the primary sec or primary fermentation is gonna occur uh, in the within the first two weeks of that fermentation cycle. And that's like the very heavily active uh, fermentation that occurs when you actually develop krausen on top of that um, that fermentation kettle and the krausen is just more or less a foam that forms due to the heavy activity of the yeast during the secondary fermentation cycle it's more or less like the uh, clarification of that beer so you're letting it settle down 
getting it off of the primary fermentation yeast cake that forms, which is more or less all that dead yeast that's sitting at the bottom of the fermentation vessel. You're getting it into a fresh vessel so it no longer has that yeast cake that it's sitting on. And you're letting all that additional yeast kind of do its thing and settle out of that beer to really make a crisp brew. Right, so you can develop some really unique flavors and really nuanced flavors. Yeah, that's a really good point. This, so something happened at the start of this hop oil and so normally we use a certain amount of water for 10 gallons to kind of boil down a little bit of that extra water and we always found that we were ending up with too little, like too little beer. You want to end up with 10 gallons, we were ending up with like nine and three quarters or a little bit less and so this time we decided to add extra water and- really- I mean, I just want to chime in there. It's not necessarily a bad thing that we're ending up with, like, let's say, nine gallons on our 10-gallon badge. It's true. What it ends up, like, trickling down to is that you're getting a stronger beer. And what we found is that, like, although our beers are very sessionable from, like, the palate standpoint, they tend to be very high in alcohol content. So we're trying right. to keep that volume of at 10 gallons to keep that uh, ABV volume or the alcohol by volume, volume, if you want to call it Uh, down to a level that's very manageable and drinkable. Right. And so one of the cool things about home brewing is you experiment with new volumes of water, and when you throw hops into wort, it's really strange. You throw these hops in, and all of a sudden it gets really foamy and bubbles over. And, you know, when it's, it's just a thing that we learned. You know, when you add more water, add the hops very slowly or slow down your boil to make sure that it doesn't boil over but in the end honestly you wouldn't have it any other way i feel like you have to make those you know little decisions and next time you you learn to you know try it a little bit differently and so it's not really a big deal yeah it's all about experimenting i would say that's what i love about brewing is that it's like a constant learning that you're, you're getting on every single batch whether yep. it's the temperatures of your of the steeping of the grain, um, and knowing knowing like you know this is the spike temperature that I need to achieve, this is my initial water temperature. Um, you're constantly learning and you're constantly bettering, you're bettering yourself, and then once you kind of become a master in an area, you're able to move into kind of new nuanced flavors that you're trying to achieve in that beer, and you really start to tune in like how do I achieve those flavors while holding everything else constant. Yep. You just kind of have to, have to experiment and try different flavors and try different techniques. Mm-hmm. So before we end this segment, uh, I have, we have a couple other guests here. We have one of my best friends, Jay, and also my sister, Colette. Would either of you like to, you know, kind of comment on the overall right. brewing experience? And <laughs> there, literally was was just, just there literally was just a mouse or frog that hopped by us. Well, it was definitely a mouse. There was, are, a, there was a mouse. Apparently the, the mouse, apparently that mouse is like, wow, these guys are brewing really good beer. I'm trying to get at that beer, trying to drink it. So we if a mouse the, wants to drink this beer. We are in the back, the backyard of my parents' uh, Midwest home. So. Yeah, and it's in the backwoods of Wisconsin. So it's it's pretty much expected that you might deal with some field mice. And, so uh, I guess what know, I. You occasional bear. <laughs> maybe. So uh, I guess what I would add to what Cody was saying is he was talking about this being a creamsicle ale. Um, If you've had the pleasure of being in uh, 
Pinellas County in uh, Florida, in Clearwater, there's a brewery there, Seventh Sun, and they have a graffiti creamsicle ale. And uh, that's where Cody and my dad tried I it. Gave and, a shout out to that one. Earlier, yeah, it's and so got good. the uh, they got the idea for this one. So yeah, it can be inspiration. I've had that one myself. I used to live in Florida, so I'm interested to try the final product here and see how it compares. That's awesome that you gave love to the like brewery that we got inspiration from oh, yeah. too. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a, a beer that I had not heard of locally. And no. I mean, Wisconsin is the, the land of beer. It's mm-hmm. it's where the beer flows like wine. Some would say. <laughs> um, I mean, why would it flow Aspen. like wine though? It'd flow like water. There's more water than wine. <laughs> you got a point. I mean, oh, if you I'll got the it. water, you're gonna turn it into beer. <laughs> why would you turn it into wine? Come on now. <laughs> Now you're talking like somebody from Minnesota. <laughs> oh, <laughs> little banter there. Yeah. A little Minnesconsin banter there. Jay, Anyways, you... it, it's not something that's uh, the Seventh Sun isn't distributed up here, so um, you kind of got to go to that area to try it. Um, so Cody brought his palate along up here and is trying to give his own spin on it. So we'll let you know how this turns out in a little bit. We'll uh, update you as this beer goes. Keep on listening. Beer for your ear. Alright, so we are trying the Oktoberfest from Spiral Brewing. Uh, that's out of Hastings, Minnesota. Super cool brewery that my Frank, my friend Frank kind of discovered recently. I think you had tried the Kolsch first, right? Yeah, I had initially tried the Kolsch and it was a, it was a beer that I think they must be a fairly new brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, still kind of figuring out their whole canning situation. Um, but it was a brew that initially I had very like uh, tinny notes on, mm-hmm. or like aluminum can flavor. Um, but I really had felt that there were some really awesome notes coming through on that Kolsch, their townie. Um, so I gave it a second try with another batch of their four pack. And really, like, they had fixed all their problems with the canning and just really made an amazing Kolsch. Yeah, I, I would agree. The first batch that we had of it, um, you know, wasn't necessarily the best beer, and it kind of did have a tinny taste, but maybe it was sitting in the cans for too long, or maybe they had just started canning, but yeah. then I'm glad that we gave it a second try, because it was a completely different beer that time, and so that's something that if you're just getting into craft brews, and you're trying one out, um, you might try one and think, Ugh, gosh, this isn't the beer for me, but sometimes that has to do with the canning process and things, so... Don't judge a beer and a brewery just based off of one beer that you have, right? Yep, especially if it's not in that brewery directly. Yep. Like when they're serving it on tap, they're going to make sure that's exactly how they want it. Right. Because that's really, like, what's representing them. That's really the best way to try them is having them on tap. Yep. Unfortunately, that's kind of difficult right now because of the virus and everything. And eventually, we'll, you'll be able to go into breweries and try them on tap again as well. So, this Oktoberfest, though, I'm really liking it. I think, uh, you know, obviously it's got kind of like that dark amber thing going on with it. Yeah, when you look at it, it almost looks like maybe like a a red ale or maybe like a more tinted red um, pale ale. Yeah. But when you drink it, it's it's drinking like a lager. It definitely is. But it's got some heavier notes in it, which is really enjoyable, especially this time of year when it's starting to get into those kind of cooler temperatures. Yeah. Like very, very drinkable. 
not kind of warms you down. Kind of warms you up too because it's got that malt going on. Yep. What? So explain to people what do you mean when you say drinks like a lager? For people that really don't know, that maybe are not familiar with the difference between an ale and a lager, yeah. what do you mean drinks by like a lager? Yeah, I mean like just really crisp, not too much going on with the yeast profile in it. Maybe a little bit of bittering hop, but overall just a very crisp, clean beer. Yep. I would completely agree. I think that lagers have that crispness to them. There's a lot of different kinds of lagers, but ales, a lot of times you get these things called esters where you get different flavors going on with the yeast because you're fermenting at a higher temperature. So this Oktoberfest, really tasty beer. I think that if you don't get intimidated by the color of it, because it looks like a much darker beer than it tastes, Mm -hmm. it's really mellowed out. It's got some nice kind of bready bready malt things going on with it a little bit of bitterness but not too much on the hop end and so i would completely agree with it if i was going to fill up a six pack with my rating of this beer i think i would probably give it i would probably give it a five five out of six in the six pack five beers out of six in the six pack i think that the one thing that could maybe use a little bit of alteration is just the carbonation on it because i'm noticing that you know, there's not a ton of foam going on on top of the beer, which I totally understand. Sometimes breweries are going for a particular carbonation, but I do like when I'm drinking a beer to have that foam kind of consistently resting on the top. So I'm going to go ahead and give this beer five out of six beers, five, a five packer instead of a six packer. Frank, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah, I definitely agree on about five bags of beer on this one. It's yep. very drinkable. Honestly, it, it, on its own, like I really couldn't see any modifications to it other than maybe slightly bring up that carbonation level. But even at that, like, you know, it might not have the strongest like head retention, but still very drinkable throughout. Yep, exactly. So definitely a very tasty beer. And be sure to pick up some Spiral Brewing beers at your local brew stop. I know that they have it at Casanova's in Hudson, Chicone's, Lucky's. And so be sure to try out Spiral Brewing. And I think that it's a brewery, like we said, that's just begun. And so they're really figuring out some great beers and they're worth a shot. Support a local business. So we've pretty much finished up the creamsicle beer. We actually just put it in bottles and kegged a little bit of it as well. And so we did two different variations of the creamsicle beer. One of them we decided, hey, we're going to throw in the vanilla Basically, what you do is you make a tincture, you cut up some vanilla beans, get all, scrape all the insides out, throw them in some vodka, and then you throw that into your beer just to get more flavor out of it. So we tried that. We threw that into the beer right as it was fermenting. And then with the other batch, what we did is we threw it into our secondary fermenter. So after the beer had fermented and it had finished making all the alcohol that it was going to make, then we did it. So we threw... One batch of vanilla in before the beer fermented and one batch of beer after it had fermented. And so to do the reason that we do that is just to get different flavors out of the beer. And really, we've it's kind of an experimental beer. Really haven't made anything like that before. And so we really wanted to see what the difference might be. And so although we are not able to crack one of them yet and fully taste it, we've gotten some sips of it. And we've gotten to figure out what it's going to taste like. Frank, what are you thinking about 
the differences in those two beers? Because I feel like it was a pretty big difference. Yeah, I mean, from our initial test at room temperature of a um, uncarbonated beer when we had, when we had bottled that first batch that mm-hmm. we had added the tincture right at the start of the primary fermentation, it had given it what about three four weeks yep. of uh, full fermentation, and as a result of that, that vanilla had really faded out. So it it was a very subtle note within the beer. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays a role in it as it cools and carbonates um, to see like when it's at that cooler temperature and everything's kind of mellowed out a bit, do we still get the vanilla note or has it kind of completely died? Whereas with the brew that we had just added that tincture three days before our bottling, like as soon as we cracked that fermenter, it almost had like the smell of a vanilla ice cream. So it's a yeah. beer that we had used lactose in, which is an unfermentable sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, from the yeast side, it just can't consume the complex sugars that are in the lactose. But you add that with the strong vanilla flavor, and it almost just had that like you know fresh tub of vanilla ice cream flavor. It so really did. It was coming through much stronger, and I think it's much more of what we were looking for. So once it's carbonated and cooled, I think we'll get a really good idea of you know, which half we want to take on that beer i would agree with that and so just like we're saying a lot of beer making beer is experimentation and just trying different variations on things and using flavors that you really like and so with this one it sounds like if you're adding vanilla hey you might want to let it wait for a little bit and then you might want to throw it into your beer after it's fermented just so you get some more vanilla forward things Mm mm-hmm and we also use different vanilla beans. We used some that I got from County Market in Hudson beforehand. I think we used three of them. And then the second time around, we used some Madagascar vanilla beans, which are kind of the, the creme de la creme as far as vanilla beans go. Mm-hmm. And so this beer will be really interesting to try once we are able to give a shot at it. We'll be sure to post some pictures of it on our Instagram, Beer For Your Ear. And so... you'll start encountering a lot more creamsicle beers. I've noticed that a lot of breweries are starting to make creamsicle style beers in one variation or another. And so this is, this is going to be a really interesting example and uh, a wonderful beer to try. So if you try a creamsicle beer in the future at a brewery, you're going to expect some, some orange things going on, some vanilla things going on and some creaminess, maybe from some lactose. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to listen to some more beer for the year beer for your ear in the future